Hello and welcome back to the Floorcasts. Forecast, Floorcast, see what we did there? I've completely forgotten how to speak. I'm really, really sorry everyone that last week we didn't have an episode. Uh, I was struck down bad by COVID and uh, we decided to skip last week. But I'm feeling better. I'm not 100%. I'd say about 75 to 80%, but um, well enough to be back at my desk. And I'm, I'm quite grateful for it because I was very, very bored last week, uh, as well as feeling poorly, which is a bad, bad combination. I'm joined by a full house this week. The three C's. Curtis, how are you doing, my friend? Very well. Good to see you back. Thank you very much. And uh, Corwin, how are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm doing great, Pat. Sorry, it's been two weeks. I hear you're about to apply for a new job, though, as well. Yeah, I'm actually looking at working in the metaverse full time. Um, so I have a group interview actually on Thursday uh, to get into this new great community. I can't wait. Talk more about it this episode. Sounds great. I, I want to hear all about it. Uh, and Chris Madden, how are you, sir? I'm also doing crepe. Crepe? Crate? Crep? I don't know. It was, it was an interesting response from Corwin. For those of you that, that can't see me, no one can see me, obviously, because this is an audio-only podcast as of now, I'm wearing a floorcast cap that Corwin is looking at in, uh, in a very jealous way. So, um, yeah, he was telling me off-air that he's very upset that he doesn't have one yet. But why don't we get into the topic straight away, Sad Corwin? What do you have to bring to the table this week? Ex-CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, joins the board of directors for Genies. There was a lot of rumors actually going on this past weekend about Disney getting involved in NFTs. And I don't think this was the rumor. So I think this is just good timing. For people who don't know what Genies is, I guess it's kind of, I guess it's going to be like a portrait of you in like the metaverse, kind of like a Memoji on like iPhone. That's what I get from it. Um, so I actually applied to join their beta. And now I have a group interview on Thursday. So. We will uh, see how that one goes. <laughs> yeah, like it's with like six other people. So <laughs> definitely an interesting like, move. From... so crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I, I would not expect Disney to jump into the metaverse, especially with how controversial it's been, kind of, with like not everyone accepting it and all the answers we gave last week to, or the week before for why companies wouldn't want to get in the metaverse right away. I mean, Curtis, I want to I want to hear your thoughts. Obviously, we've had a, a really, really big acquisition that we're going to talk about um, during this episode, of course, in NFT land. But these rumors bubbling, first of all, that Disney are going to make some sort of NFT acquisition, but also obviously Bob Iger um, joining the Genie board of directors. There's no smoke without fire, is there? Yeah, I mean, this is just kind of a continuation of uh, bigger brands partnering with established NFT brands to kind of get their their feet in. Um, we've seen a combination of people trying to launch or companies launching their own thing, which has kind of had mixed results. Uh, but obviously, uh, Nike and Artifact and Puma and Adidas uh, all getting in and partnering with existing brands has been worked out pretty well for them so far. So yeah, interesting to see what Disney will do. But this is the first time I've ever heard of Genies. So I had to look them up. Uh, very interesting that they're taking on a seat like a, a board member like Bob Iger, who obviously is very famous for being CEO of Disney for a long time. So yeah, that's that's potentially pretty huge for that brand. Um, gives them a lot of weight in uh, traditional media and also yeah in the NFT space. Finally, Chris, what are your thoughts on on the rumors that Disney are about to enter the metaverse, my friend? You know, it, it makes total sense. It would be surprising if they didn't. I always 
you know, they, they have deep technology background in these spaces. So something like Genies makes total sense. I kind of expected them to do it through you know, the purchase of a major piece of IP. Doodles always made a lot of sense to me as a target for something like a first Disney metaverse brand, potentially a Robotos, something that's like very family friendly and, and positive. It'll bring a lot of credibility and a lot of uh, new eyeballs on the space, which I think will be universally good. Yeah, I think they're in obviously quite a unique position to either, I mean, obviously like acquisition is one thing, but they also have a lot of awesome IP, right? And what they might want to do with that IP from a kind of like digitally native perspective is also really interesting. So I think there's, you know, one, a acquisition play here where they take an existing brand and then they turn it into a multimedia brand in itself, as well as being like a, you know, collect NFT collectible. But they also have a lot of their own IP that they could leverage to create awesome experiences and create like some very valuable like digital collectibles or anything else. Like that's the one thing that I guess people aren't thinking about as much is that, you know, what are Disney going to do with their, their own IP? Are they going to do anything with their own IP or are they going to actually silo that and just go and acquire an NFT project and make that into a multimedia brand, which is which is an interesting conversation, isn't it, Corwin? Yeah, I think there's actually also a lot of rumors going on of like the acquisition of, uh, I think it was Cool Man's Universe. Have you guys heard of them? I guess their, their floor ended up running up off the news. So that's that was my thinking too, is like, are they going to acquire like Doodles, Cool Man's, even V Friends? I'm not sure if you guys seen V Friends too, or what Gary V has been te- teasing as well. But it's very cartoon-like and very Disney-like. I heard some rumors of that, and I, I even heard you know Gary saying a couple things on the topic. I really don't think V Friends is a great fit for a Disney acquisition. That doesn't mean it won't won't happen, of course. But it feels like something Gary probably wants to run a little bit more down the path independently. That said, Gary likes money. So, yeah, I guess if Disney rocks up with a big enough dump truck with enough money, who knows, maybe. But like, let's be honest, most of these other brands, absent a Disney acquisition, don't really have a great long-term play. Like, it's not clear to me how Doodles becomes a $10 billion enterprise by themselves. Like, it feels like most likely they need that. It's very unlikely that any of these folks actually have the management jobs the executive jobs at the business that like just happened to make this NFT in like 2021 when the market was super hot to actually go and build a very large business. And so they're going to have to go retool themselves, probably like fire or at least kind of reposition the founders and the businesses. Or, you know, maybe we get lucky and one or two of them have visionaries that can grow into executives of meaningfully sized businesses. But it would be quite surprising to see several of them do that gracefully. Yeah, I think one of the tweets that blew up was from jamie burke ceo of outlier ventures i mean i'll plug the the documentary i produced that he narrated nft documentary.media quick quick plug there he tweeted rumor is disney is about to make a big nft acquisition he said all i'm gonna say is someone in this thread nailed it if it happens it would be the biggest deal to date for the industry let's see how it plays out uh and then gary venichuk responded with hmm and jamie responded to him saying to be honest would have thought you would have heard about this one gary dot 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 so lots of interesting things there. I mean, definitely go check out that thread. I think, Corwin, you made a good point in our chat that, that Disney already has some of their existing IP on Vive, uh, V-E-V-E, who are like a NFT thing. I'm not sure if they're 
interoperable in the sense that you can take them off their native chain though which is one thing and i think where a lot of people have been a lot of existing ip has been sold to them and they've been able to, to like you know sell them to their audience but i don't know if you've been able to do much with them someone who's you know an expert in that marketplace or platform or app can can maybe tell me otherwise and correct me if i'm wrong but um i think there's a lot more to be done if you've got like disney's ip right but anyway let's talk about the biggest news of the week chris this is the one that you shotgunned this is UgrX lava labs which i mean there was lots of rumors uh, again and everyone kind of played it off as like oh yeah no way and then it just happened and it was crazy it was maybe a little bit more rumored than the nike artifact acquisition which everyone felt was completely out of the blue and again happened i think on a friday night uh which was quite strange uh friday night my time but um yeah i mean when you saw this what was your what was your initial reaction yeah so to your point i think a lot more people knew about this than knew about artifact uh it's been going around in a deck for quite a few weeks like if you look at the four floor prices of me bits in particular you can like see lots of front running on the deal um but that said you know, the number two buying the number one, I would argue, uh, in terms of kind of like blue chip status is really, really interesting. And just highlights to our conversation earlier, you know, about how many of these projects are going to have leadership teams that can actually go and build businesses and forge a path forward for the project and the company. Like Lava Labs have absolutely messed up uh, owning one of the preeminent, arguably the preeminent a piece of IP and collection and and project for this generation of NFTs, and to get bought by something that popped up you know, nine months ago in your shadow and just out executed you, and then came back with a bunch of cash and was like, okay, like we'll consolidate this into our project. It's just a really staggering thing, and you know it's really exciting to see the interest from the market still being strong to give them like a, close to a half billion dollars to go and to make such a big move you know the if you look i think part of the deal included three to four hundred crypto punks and close to 1700 me bits like just an enormous amount of blue chip inventory that's so much money and it's a crazy ending to that first chapter of the story but it's a good reminder that you know even at the top levels you need to execute and you need to keep moving and keep improving things and work with your community and you know not work against the community like cryptopunks have been you know, pretty famous for not really liking anything that anyone does that's derivative or built on top of them and uh, i think this is the end to that story where you play with that set of rules i just yeah i think obviously a lot of punk owners have had this debate right it's like are punks going to be really valuable just because they were like one of the first mass market nfts and they hold that kind of like symbolic value or does something need to be done for them to maintain value and i think from afar watching that argument has been very interesting i don't know which side of that fence i sit on but i guess the first thing that yuga labs have done is grant full commercial rights to all nft holders just like board ape yacht club owners have and mutinate yacht club owners have to all punks and me bits so I, i'm wondering if you think there's any significance there as well chris like do you think that will allow 
Yuga and the community work to execute at like a, a bigger level on those two particular particular collections, or is this just like a an optics thing? Yeah, I think it will help um, because I think it will help change the mindset towards those assets and make it feel a lot more community oriented. That said, you know, this is probably a little bit of an unpopular opinion. I actually don't really think that IP rights on NFTs are going to matter that much. If they do, they'll matter for the bases and the crypto punks. But I just think anyone who has serious IP use cases is almost certainly in most cases going to favor creating and tokenizing their own IP versus making very large, very messy thousands of stakeholder acquisitions of IP that's on chain already. I just don't quite imagine that playing out in the way that I think all the decentralization wonks really want it to. It would be a beautiful world. It just it doesn't sound particularly likely to me that that turns out to be a real cash maker. But I do think it will help change the profile of the project and kind of just change the feeling. Uh, and you know, it doesn't cost them anything, really. Can I ask a, qu- a really dumb question here? Because I think this is a safe space for us and our audience. What are the best examples that we've seen of someone utilizing the commercial rights of their board ape for example i think there's two buckets one is people who create kind of sub-thread projects off of that so you know um what was the one that did like the lab project that was like one of the apes like meta coronal credits i'm sure one of you guys know uh, that actually didn't do very well, but was supposed to be a really big deal because it was like one of the first like legit teams, legit projects that had like based all of the IP on like a subset of the one ape that this guy owned that kind of seeded the whole project with. So that was like an interesting one. And then, you know, there have been examples of folks that have, you know, started entering IP licensing deals like Doodles with Time to kind of create derivative series, works, things like that based on them. Um, Haven't seen any of that play out yet. So like haven't really seen that turn into something that's working at scale yet. The ones I've seen are like on beer cans or people will put them on like their their coffee that they sell or even like at a cafe, they'll have it as like part of their logo, which I've seen actually looks pretty cool because like I think I've seen one done for on-chain monkeys. That's like a beer and I don't know if they have IP rights, I really don't know. Uh, but I'm like, that looks really cool. Like, I would buy that as a beer. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it was in Australia, but it was like a really cool thing I saw. To me, this all feels still quite surface level. Like, I, I don't know, like, yeah, it, it doesn't feel like stuff that is going to move the needle massively. I think people would talk about it being a big deal. And I think maybe I might be crucified for this, but like I think it gives you the scope to do a lot more, but it doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to go and do a lot more because at the end of the day, these are primarily uh, digital collectibles, right? And I, I'm I'm interested to see how that evolves and how the IP rights evolve, how important they will be as, as to Chris's point. Um, but for me right now, like j- just as a lot of NFTs are, I think a lot of them feel quite surface level um in in their applications at the moment uh Curtis, i'd love to hear some of your thoughts on this subject yeah it's uh interesting that I, I think the idea of having the freedom to do that is more important to people than actually acting on it because some people have done uh sweatshirts and t-shirts but nothing to any like crazy scale so i think people just want to have the optionality to go and print some like a bunch of t-shirts for their friends or themselves or but I, I haven't really seen the commercial license used 
really to make anyone any significant amount of money. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's cool that one of the OG projects in the space is now going to have that flexibility that those owners will be able to do whatever they want with it now. It's very interesting that kind of the, the top two, maybe top three-ish projects in the space are all under one umbrella now, which is very, very interesting to see some of this consolidation start happening, which might speak to maybe the maturity uh, of the market coming a little bit. Like, I don't know if we see more consolidation happen um, where big brands buy other big brands, but yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting time. And I, I do enjoy the volume that it introduced back to the market because it looked very, very bearish there for uh, a little bit. And now it seems like, I'm not going to say it's, it's bull uh, again, but it's definitely not as depressing as it was uh, maybe two weeks ago. And how, how do you feel about one company owning the top projects? Don't you feel like competition's still good? Not that there was much competition going on there between them necessarily because uh, Larva wasn't necessarily keeping up, but would you guys rather have another company come in and acquire punks rather than uh, Yuga Labs? Yeah. I like, they're both obviously really important, but you know, they're both really the same thing anyway. In the grand scheme of things, uh, I think there'll be so many new and interesting things. And if one company wants to own a bunch of the early you know, no utility PFPs, fine. Like in two years, we'll look back at them as, you know, really cool early forebringers, but, you know, relics of a completely different time. And I don't think it's going to be stagnating to innovation that someone owns the pictures of the punks and the pictures of the apes. Like, I I just don't think that's going to be an important enough part of the overall journey for that to be a problem. I think what is positive is that a, a company bought them that has a history of delivering and actually doing things <laughs> and they they obviously have the the war chest to do so do something with it whereas if some like no name company bought them they'd probably be a, a lot more bearish on that because you don't like if it's a team that you don't know you don't know how much money is actually put into it um at least with yuga you know you know what you're getting yeah, I I, th- I think seen some pretty interesting theories about like whether or not Yugu are going to do something that allows them to profit from secondary volume on on punks and stuff like that. I think there's a lot of very interesting takes. That would be a little tough. <laughs> yeah, but I, like, I think that would be a that would be culturally a tough sell, and I don't think would be worth it. What I do think they can do is they can take their playbook from Base C around mutant serum dogs kennel coin all of that stuff got you yeah. and use it to create secondary revenue streams they cannot add secondary trading percentage to they just it would be a silly move i hope they don't do that i agree with you but like on one hand i'm kind of like if you were a punk holder and you saw a lot more of an active team that were like really invested in making that project as big and great as it could be would you be okay with them getting a cut and uh, it's very but just a really short sighted way of doing it. Like, yeah, I, I, do it in I, a way that creates new and additive value. But there's so much money to be made on the punks brand that they will for sure start to like when you look at their roadmap for coin for various derivative and kind of secondary projects, they will for sure do the, the same thing for. Punks. Yeah, they, they don't mess about, right? It's it's going to be very very interesting to see what they do. Corwin, last question: How would you uh, how would you use a board ape if you were an owner of one and you were granted commercial rights, which you, you would be? 
what would you be doing? What kind of brand would you be starting? I think I would start like a portfolio tracker app and then um, brand it off my ape. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I don't know. That's, that's such a tough question um, because it's like, what if I want to sell this down the road? Then, then I lose my, my commercial rights to it. It's very, di- it's very difficult. I think I would just use it to brand myself. I would just personal branding like Twitter, profile picture, things like that. Even that carries risk though. Like I think about this with my doodle all the time. Like what if doodles go to 100 ETH and I want to sell my doodle? And, you know, now it's, okay, it's my PFP. It sucks to lose a PFP, but okay, maybe I'm, maybe that's cool. Maybe for 300K, I'd be down to lose my PFP. But then, you know, I used it as the basis for the Shadow Quest one of one. Like, okay, is that cool anymore? Like if I sell the doodle, but keep the Shadow Quest one of one, that's kind of a derivative work of my doodle. Like, how does that play out? And then as you get more and more entrenched and you do more and more things with it, it becomes harder and harder to sell it, which is probably a good thing to the long-term value of these assets in some way. Because, you know, particularly for CryptoPunks, I think a lot of people have a lot of identity-based baked in around their CryptoPunk, which creates illiquidity in the market, which creates positive movement in the market because you have more buy volume than sell volume. But it is an interesting challenge for PFPs generally. Yeah, that is very interesting. Like how down the road can you go before this becomes like an integral part of that kind of brand and IP that you've built and if you let that go you then let go of the commercial rights because they carry with them that you know that, that that PFP carries the commercial rights so yeah maybe but on the other hand maybe they make them more liquid but if someone is looking to take over the punk but also the brand that you've created around them that could also yield added value, right? So it's it's very interesting conversation, I think. But again, like all of this is is so kind of I w- I don't want to say wishy washy, but it's kind of like oh, like if you did this and if you did this and if you have this, like there is I, I don't know. It just does feel like we're still so so early and these moves being made so early from like an acquisition point. I I tend to agree with Chris in the sense that like are we going to look back on this in five years and think like, oh, like, wasn't that like the best move ever? Who knows? Like, if they have the number one and two right now, again, board apes weren't a thing this time last year, right? Am I right in saying that? Or just over a year ago? So like... I think it was March, right? Yeah, I think we're coming up on a year now. Yeah, so like, ju- like think about what could change in a year. Like, it's almost, it's very hard to comprehend, isn't it? It's crazy to see where we have come in a year. Because if you look at the floor a year ago, it was like 0.8, like less than one ETH for for board apes. So it's going to be a crazy year this year too to see what happens. Right, next up, I'm going to talk about Cyber Brokers. So really interesting project that came out from um, a pretty strong team. So if people don't know Josie Bellini, she's like like one of the OG crypto artists. I don't know how long she's been making crypto art. Uh, she started this project called Cyber Brokers and the aim was to just create really, really awesome art and have it on chain. And there was no like Discord grinding. You had to have either been one of her like newsletter subscribers or owned a piece of her previous art to actually um, to actually get a mintless spot. And it did really, really well off the bat. I think it hit up until like 5e floor overnight and it's currently sitting at about 3e floor. It was a 0.3 ETH mint and that's because it cost them, I think about 100 ETH to 
put all the SVGs on chain. Um, and I think it was done over the last couple of days, which is really interesting. Uh, one of my good friends, Chris, who um, is building Sploot with myself and a few other people, was part of the team that that made this. So that's kind of how I've learned about it. Um, and I think it's really interesting. Like, I don't know, again, like, I don't think I'm technically literate enough to say how valuable having something like that on chain is. But we've seen quite a few people do really interesting things with the SVGs so far, like make some make some pretty cool like animated clips and stuff. And the art is just like awesome. Like they look just really, really good. And you can tell a lot of work has gone into each of them. And yeah, fair play. Like they've done really well. And I think they'll continue doing really well. The the kind of yeah, the reason it's done really well is a lot of the kind of people that had Josie Bellini art pieces were like whales in the space already and so if you look at like the list of holders and the wallets that are holding them there's going to be a lot of people that are just going to be holding those for good so again nothing we say on this show is financial advice ever but i think this will probably continue to do fairly well uh and disclaimer i still have one of the two that i minted so there we go anyone else seen this project around i've seen it pop up all over the place um because they got like crazy volume right out the gate. I would love to have one. I'm super bullish on a lot of things on-chain. I think on-chain is great, um, unless we end up moving to a different chain. <laughs> but then we could go into wrap contracts, like Chris said. But yeah, three ETH right now, that's crazy. They're, the art is beautiful and fully on-chain. I can't even imagine. I think you said 100 ETH to put it all on-chain. That's insane. But yeah, art looks amazing. I wish I would have known I about it. Is that 100 ETH? Uh, I'll find the thread at 91.04 ETH. I'll share the thread in our chat. This was by uh, Cyber Bourgeois, who's one of the, he's, you know, CTO at Blockade Games and uh, lead dev at Neon District, who was the person who, like, did the dev work for Cyber Brokers. And, yeah, it cost them, well, that's what he says in the thread, or he or she, or they, I I don't know. I don't know them personally. I just know them through Twitter and their SVG and metadata. Yeah, it's a lot of ETH. But you've got to get it on chain, right, Chris? I, I, personally, that stuff you know bothers me a little bit less. I I can go along with the conventional wisdom, and it does feel like in the in the fullness of time, you know, on chain or at least in kind of some distributed, you know, somewhat resilient data store is a good thing. I definitely I don't have the fetish for on chain that some people seem to. We've just found our title, ladies and gentlemen, for today's episode. Curtis, I don't know if you've seen this round. I don't know if you've seen this round, but we'd love to to hear your thoughts as well. I was I was trying to quickly look up exactly what they do with the SVG and what it means to store it on chain. But it, it's it's really interesting because if it is if the SVG elements are actually on chain, that means you don't need to wrap use a wrapped contract to make a derivative like you could you can actually insert layers within the existing svg elements or even change some of the svg elements uh because it's based svgs basically looks like html the fill colors the styles all that stuff are actually attributes of the svg elements so you could add crazy backgrounds you could add animations all also on chain so you can make an on-chain derivative of an svg project which is actually really cool so oh that's super cool i hadn't thought about that but obviously, obviously they're obviously they're very expensive to deploy. Like just generating pixel art type, like simple pixel art stuff, is very expensive. This is like a whole new level because if you look at the art, like these are in terms of elements, there's probably hundreds of elements per PFP. So 
Yeah, it's it's a lot of data. I wonder if they would benefit from something like what ShadowQuest did with, because the main optimization they have in their contract is the way they store data in a very compressed way. I wonder if there's some Shadow ERC stuff that can, could help. Can I just read past, again, not technically literate enough, but I just wanted to read this bit from Cyborg Addendum, some extra nerdy details below. Uncompressed, the Cyberbroker's SVG layers are 25.7 megabits prior to compression. We also applied a pruning technique to the original SVG layers, which started an initial total size of 54.1 megabits for a final compression rate of 4.09. For a gas price agnostic comparison, the final gas cost uploading all binary SVG layers was, is that 3 billion 108 million 758,797 gas units we anticipated a price tag between 78 to 300 plus ETH and they paid just below or just over 90 which is uh, very interesting but again like a a new interesting way of doing something I suppose they're not the first on-chain project I think they're the first on-chain SVG project so yeah pretty cool it'd be nice um, if you could uh, give us a heads up on, on these type of mints next time pet chain runners I'll try my best. Chain, I'll try my best. Chain runners were SVG and on chain. Ah, there we go. The second. So so second is so SVG is on chain monkey as on well. On chain project. The third SVG on chain project. <laughs> right. Last but not least, Curtis's corner. You've got so much to update us on Curtis because our last update was two weeks ago. Um. So what's been going on? Yeah, so I, I figured I'd take uh, a couple minutes at the top of this to do two updates, one for Creeps, one for Shadow Quest. So uh, the Creeps one's pretty quick. Season one has kind of wound to a close, and now we're all eagerly awaiting some of the season two announcements that should be coming this week. So Wednesday, I think, at 2.30 Eastern is when there's another AMA, and we're supposed to be opening the interdimensional portal, which is going to be the way to get access to the next generative art collection, which is the interdimensional lizards. Season two should see us doing, building up unique traits for these lizards based on all the points and shards that we built up at the tail end of season one. And with that, you're supposed to be able to use a marketplace to buy traits. So you can, you can get like the bunny balaclava, you can get like the face masks, the the cigarettes or whatever you want. Um, the more points you have, the more unique traits that you should be able to get so you should be able to make some pretty cool stuff out of that but otherwise game wise there hasn't been a whole lot of updates out of creeps besides uh they did announce that you can name your creep now so you can go and pay some lumi and there's some suffixes and uh or prefixes you can add like lord and god and stuff like that and you can name it and the cool thing is you get a unique name so you can't have a name that is uh simple like you can't have two creeps with the same name so there's been some pretty funny ones uh out there so that's all that's all that's going on with creeps and then in terms of shadow quest uh, a lot of very interesting stuff happened um i think when we last spoke they had just introduced staking the battlefield's now open and a bunch of ui updates have gone out so you can actually see what see at a more granular level what's going on the battlefield they also introduced the armory which has a couple of weapons and some uh, armor that you can equip and that increases the stats of your warriors and for Samsars who are kind of stealing honor from people, uh, their, their, the amount of honor they get is distributed amongst the, the whole pool of stake Samsars according to what stats they have. So it's it's beneficial to up your stats for your Samsars. And the Warriors also get a little bit more honor per uh, per hour if they have higher stats. So yeah, that that's pretty interesting. And then we've got the Dojo and Bank coming out, which the Dojo is where you're going to be able to mint these Gen 1s, which are 
even more warriors, slightly lower stats, and and the bank is the way you get honor out into an ERC-20. And people are looking forward to that because that'll introduce kind of the earn mechanic where now we can have a liquidity pool set up by the community and people have an easy on-ramp into getting lots of honor and so you can buy some warriors, buy some honor, get into the game and, and kind of get yourself started. Wow. I mean, Corwin, you've been going down this rabbit hole as well, right? So how are you feeling about SQ, Shadow Quest at the moment? I actually am a fan of a lot of the updates they've been making. They've been doing AMAs as well, which is really nice, giving a lot more clarity, taking community questions, and they haven't been giving hard deadlines anymore, <laughs> which uh, they, they had an issue with at the beginning. Uh, so now they're just like, hey, we're working on this. So it's great. And I'm, I'm excited for the dojo and the, the bank. They just came out with, uh, uh, what was it, Curtis? The, the armory where you could buy weapons. And I equipped my Samsars. And like right off the bat, we were gaining like so much honor for like that first day. It was like, I think it was like 4,000 honor an hour, which is a lot. That's just passively for equipping your Samsar with weapons that you bought. And they also announced for the bank that there's going to be like a 12% withdrawal fee and you could only withdraw what you spend in the game, which I think is a cool mechanic as well. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited for it. I don't know how it's going to play out though. I don't, I don't know if there's going to be enough liquidity. That's like one of my main concerns, but I think it'll be fun. Yeah, so far I've actually understood, which is pretty nice like i often find it you know hard to find the time to keep up with and kind of understand what you should be doing and you know the ux of the website is not my absolute favorite but generally speaking you can kind of figure out what you should be doing which is nice yeah very interested to see what they do next and um i mean curtis before you unless you have anything else to talk about from a shadow quest perspective there's a couple other things that you wanted to talk about including uh rubber duck party yeah, just one one final thing on Shadow Quest before we move on is uh, they're still laying the foundation for the game. Like we're so we're we're super early. We're seeing all these mechanics roll out. So they're not. So for example, the armory isn't. Those weapons aren't as powerful or as impactful as people would have thought in the beginning. But that's because we don't see all the other staking locations that are planned. There's rumors that a PvP element is going to be added, which obviously stats will probably play pretty heavily into that. There's a couple ideas floating around, like you might actually lose weapons potentially or there might be ways of making sure you're more like you can protect against losing weapons or you can make your samsars able to take people's weapons so there's so many different layers that they're currently going to be working in and uh yeah it's it's pretty exciting so far um but we're just getting started like I, i've mentioned in the past their backgrounds are in like the souls game the elden ring uh, diablo those sorts of games and so all the cool things that you love about those sorts of fantasy RPG type games, they're going to bring some of those really cool elements into this. So it should be pretty exciting. And it's also great being able to like theorycraft and like all these discords of people being like, okay, how do we get this? How do we get this before they announce how to get it? Like everyone's like putting together all these theories. It's really fun. And then also another thing too, they mentioned during their AMA, Curtis, is that I think that right now all the weapons are off chain, but as we progressively upgrade them, once they become like a certain power or super powerful, we're going to be able to take them or we're going to be able to bring them on chain and be able to like sell them. I think that was also another point too. That's super cool. Yeah. So yeah, lots of cool things uh, about to happen for Shadow Quest. The next two or three weeks should be pretty exciting, but we'll keep you updated. So I did want to touch on Rubber Duck Bath Party, which is another 
I, I feel like we've been pretty nerdy in this this pod, so uh, I'm I'm enjoying it. But so the interesting thing with I wanted to dive in with Rubber Duck Bath Party is um, so it's a new PFP project uh, minted uh, I think last week or, or two weeks ago. The interesting thing about them is uh, it's ten thousand ducks, but they're gonna host these parties, and you get to decide if you want to attend these parties or not. The parties last 24 hours. There's going to be like a big Discord event around them. And it's it's not staking. You just, through a wallet, like a wallet dApp, you actually just say, I'm going to attend this party with whatever ducks. The, the mechanic that's very interesting is that for attending a bath party, you will actually gain or lose traits from your duck and potentially turn into a one of one. There's all these different things that they're, they're planning that could happen to a duck. Um, so if you have a really rare duck, you could actually walk out with a less rare duck, or you could walk out with a 101. Uh, the other interesting thing to show this is they're they're using, I think it's OpenSea specific, but uh, Chris maybe can correct me, but the metadata for the ducks has actually changed to be an iframe, which is basically you can embed uh, a web page into the NFT, and it actually shows you the entire history of your duck now. So right now, obviously, no one's attended any bath parties. The first one's on the 20th. But after that, you'll actually be able, be able to see the entire evolution of the duck, like as it gained and lost traits. So two kind of interesting things, like a, a an a interactive NFT and the fact that you get to attend parties to gain traits or change your duck. But then also like being able to see the entire history, the evolution of a duck is pretty cool. Yeah, the iPhone thing's super cool and interesting, although it's actually kind of a pain for us because we got to go figure out what to do with that in the app. But yeah, it's like a little interactive element and you can kind of see historic versions of it. OpenSea supported this for a long time, uh, largely because the generative art movement, a lot of that stuff was actually rendered as JavaScript, which was then shown inside of an iframe. Like the squiggle is actually just like a big JavaScript thing that plays out the animation. And so this is probably something as part of our partnership with Rob of Dark that we'll go and figure out how to render in the app. But very unhelpfully, no one actually tells you what you should expect to find inside of that thing. So you're trying to like get the file and then figure out how to interpret it. There is no standard for, I am an interactive. And so therefore you should expect my uh, image URL to point you to something that should be interpreted as HTML. So Chris, is that is that, uh, is that supported on LooksRare or Rarible or any other marketplace or is that OpenSea specific? I don't know. Let's go take a quick look. Looks rare, rubber. Because I, I did see it in the OpenSea spec, but it, it's not part of like any ERC spec. So I, I figured it might be an OpenSea specific thing, but I had some pretty, after seeing, yeah, I, I knew iframes were a thing, but seeing it actually used to serve up like some pretty complicated JavaScript with the history and fetching all the previous versions is really interesting. And it's given me like no shortage of ideas for cool things to do <laughs> in the future when I get the time. But uh, yeah, it's just a really cool, way to bake in that interactivity into the actual NFT that you display on OpenSea. We should chat about that. Uh, I have a couple of things in this uh, area that we want to do with something for floor tokens. That sounds exciting. Corin, do you hold any ducks? Are you going to send yours to your, your party? No, I actually... When is the first party? I think next Friday or this Friday. It's coming up. Um, I'm actually going to get into it again. I, I had two ducks. I didn't get the best traits. I was looking... I was looking at the floor actually yesterday and the traits I really want are near the floor like 0.14, 0.15. So I might pick I might pick some up again because I, I I'm really bullish on their team. I, I think they have a great team, an amazing team. I like their ideas. But at the same time, I don't know if I want to even send my ducks to a party. Like imagine like two years from now if this is like super big still 
And I'm just like, hey, I got a duck that's never been to a party. Like, this is cool. But also at the same time, too, there's going to be some exclusive parties that only ducks who've been to this X amount of parties can go to. So maybe I buy two ducks. One doesn't go to a party. One's the party master that goes to every party. So I don't know how that's going to be. But I think it's I think it's a great concept. I, and I'm really bullish on their team as well. The duck party mon- master. Sorry, I was just writing down the title of the of this episode. So um... <laughs> I think that's a much better title. Uh, I'm actually browsing for rubber ducks right now. Uh, Goran inspired me. Um, there's one that have like, I can't remember the, I'll actually tell you the exact trait right now, that have like, it's like a curtain or something in front of them, but you could get ones that are like floating in like whiskey. It's actually pretty cool. Those are my favorite, but I didn't land one of those. Yeah, they're, um, the trait type is called cover. So there's only four types of cover and there's a whiskey cover. And they're really, really cool. And they're sitting at floor. Like right now, there's one with like a whiskey cube. It has like a whiskey cube in it. And there's one like playing with bubbles in it at the floor right now. I really like that one. Kind of want a laser eyes one. Oh, they have though? I didn't even see any laser eye ones. Yeah, pretty cool. But I mean, the interesting thing is you you get those traits, you send it to a party, you might walk out without laser eyes, right? So it's, it's very interesting. Um, I've got a bunch of, I've got one that's like a thousand rarity. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not crazy about any particular trait so i might send all my ducks to the party and just see what happens curtis i don't know exactly the i don't know if you could lose a trait like that though i don't know if you could lose like the whiskey in front of you or the laser eyes i think it's isn't it just like accessories like a hat or or glasses or would that count as well i have to go read up on the mechanics again but i mean there's so this upcoming party on the 20th one of these ducks is going to turn into a one of one which means all its metadata is going to change Oh, wow, that's crazy. Real quickly, why is the Murray floor running right now, Curtis? Like 500 sales in the last hour, it's up to like 0.45. What's going on? The allow list mint opened at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern. So they had a Dutch auction, closed at 0.3. It sold out in 10 seconds. Uh, That was only 2,000 tokens. And now this is the allow list. So you're seeing a ton of people dumping them on OpenSea, but the floor price is actually staying up at like 0.5, which is crazy. Yeah, I might have to FOMO into one right now, actually. You should have been listening to us on Discord last night because <laughs> we all got in. This, this, this is just turning into D-Gen on air again. There is nothing degenerative about Miri. Uh, it's a house project. It's, I think it's going to go crazy, but uh, that's, that's just my great advice, not financial advice. Oh, wait, wait, Chris, what were you going to say, Chris? Are you going to tell me not to? No, 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 no. I just... Um... I just realized I actually got really good uh, rubber ducks. One of mine's like rarity 100 and another one's rarity 1000. Wait, really? A rarity 100 one? Nice. Yeah, but like honestly, there's a bunch on the floor too, actually. Rarity 184 is for sale for 0.2 ETH. This is sad. Uh, actually, wait, no, it's not. I'm going to buy it. Curtis, <laughs> look, look at the screen. All right. Oh, man. FOMO'd in the Murray. Are you, are you trying to buy one? So here's, here's if you're trying to buy Murray, good luck. I know it's going to be botted like crazy. So I would I'd be looking at gem and going up a couple from the floor because uh, there have been some sold at like 0.37, 0.38, and those got immediately bought like seconds after they got listed. Oh, wow. This is cool. New MetaMask update. Push notifications for when you receive ETH. That's cool. Oh, that's great. That's been needed for a while. Uh, I actually have to jump off of this to do a real world call, but this has been fun. This is the real world, Chris. No, this is like weird DJ buying things on a podcast that doesn't have an intro anymore.
Well, I was going to ask before you go, if you're allowed to be a little bit late, if there's any last minute floor updates before you say goodbye. What's going on? So uh, we've been having some scaling fun, both in terms of uh, data and, you know, now we've accumulated a ton of data and getting some more floor users. So we had a little bit of our own downtime, which was awesome, somewhat a little bit ironically, but also, you know, kind of nice to have some actual challenges that are caused because people are using it too much. So we're in the process of shipping a few fixes that get us past those, which is nice. Couple things coming soon. I think these have been teased in the channel. So uh, estimated value is in a state of constantly almost ready. And we're probably just going to kind of push it out at some point in the next week. It's pretty good. Uh, there are definitely still remaining things where it, it can be improved, but we'd love to get it in people's hands. And then really the focus, we talked about this in the last podcast two weeks ago, is around helping people to discover their next collections. And so we have a bunch of stuff coming soon around uh, Discover and Upcoming Mints that will be out in the next two to three weeks in some form. Wow, very exciting things to look forward to. Um, but as Chris mentioned, he's got to go. We've got to wrap up. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Remember, this is great advice, not financial advice, everything that we've said on this podcast. And thanks very much for listening thanks to everyone for subscribing and all that good stuff we'll catch you next week once more on the floorcast